Wow, that was an amazing song. I hope everyone felt the Holy Spirit moving through them, because I certainly did. Um, my name is Kate, and I've been attending The Way for about five years with my husband and two kids, Winston and Kinsley, who you usually see crawling all over me in the back and shouting inappropriately during the sermon, um, but they're a little under the weather, so I am here kid-free. I'm loving it, so I actually get to pay attention. So today I'm going to read the scripture, and it is Acts 7, 51 through 60, and Acts 1 through 8 through 1. So, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on the day of great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Thank you. All right. Uh, when you are when you pass through the orange curtain and go to Orange County, um, Orange County has these things. They have toll roads, and. Uh, I'm looking at you, Newport, okay? And uh, it doesn't matter if you are just using a quarter mile to get onto another one. Guess what? Even if you don't see the sensors, oh, there are sensors. There are cameras, even for that quarter mile, okay? So you have 48 uh, hours to pay, and I should have paid. I really should have. I should have paid, I should have paid my buck 50, but a year later, I, was eight, I had the privilege to pay 150 okay? Um, <laughs> and I, there's this very simple lesson that I learned in Orange County, and that is this, is you either do, you do one of two things. Tim, you follow the rules, or you can pay for it. All right, I know I didn't blow your mind. I can follow the rules or blow your mind. All right, so this is it. Um, uh, the court, the legal arena of the courtroom, it's one, it wants one or two things, right? Obedience or they want satisfaction, right? So if you can't pay for it, they still want satisfaction. So sometimes there are things that if you can't obey, then you can do time. But the court wants obedience or it wants satisfaction. There's two things, right? That's what the court wants. That's what the legal arena wants. 
Now, what does that have to do with Stephen that Kate just read for us? What does it have to do with Stephen getting stoned to death? Um, Or maybe for this new younger generation, maybe I say rocked to death, okay? What does it have to do? There is something that happens with Stephen, and I'm going to tell you this, is he is fixated on a courtroom. And it allows him to go through suffering that I can't imagine. And I'm going to tell you something, is that that is not extra special. Because the same thing is available for you and me. The very same thing is available for you and me. Okay. So uh, this this is hard to do because I I have, what, maybe 14 minutes. Okay. Uh, In Acts 7... Um, Stephen has this speech, and um, there's a commentator that says in Acts 7, we didn't read all of it, but a commentator has said this about this speech that Stephen says, and he says, most of the New Testament is just an expansion of everything Stephen said in his speech, which is kind of a big claim, right? And so Stephen is in a big court. It's called the Sanhedrin. And I don't know if you can get this, this sense is um, there's 30, there isn't one judge. There's 35 people sitting on one side and we've got a, and there's 35 people sitting on another side. And then you put the high priest there at the, you know, going over the proceedings, presiding over the proceedings. And, the, and then you have the accused that gets to be in the center in front of 71 judges and they let him monologue, all right? They let Stephen monologue. Now, I am not gonna go over there, but I'm gonna do this really, really briefly, and I think you're gonna be impressed how I summarize this, okay? But it's a, it's a great study without listening to the summary, all right, but at another time. Okay, so they basically ask him two questions. The first question is like, hey, we heard the temple, um, we don't need the temple anymore, okay? And, um, and just a reminder, the Herodian temple is double the footprint of Solomon's temple. And I, I've said this before, is w- what did they do with all that extra space? And this is, this is metaphorical, but they basically made the extra space into a bigger gift shop. I think we can understand that idea. So this thing is a massive cash cow, and Stephen says, yeah, we don't need this temple anymore. And so they ask him about that, and Stephen says this, summary, I'm gonna paraphrase, but he says, look, um, Abraham and Moses, before there was a temple or a tabernacle, Abraham and Moses, because he's going to very old school, he says, they didn't need a house made by human hands for God. So if, and he's using their frame, right? And he's saying, uh, look, look, for even Abraham and Moses, your fathers, they didn't need a temple. So he kind of uses their frame. And the second question they ask him is this, okay, okay, um, um, what about the law? Because it sounds like you don't care about the law anymore. And he says this, this is in summary, paraphrase. He says, look, Nobody has ever followed the law, ever. Nobody. Uh, uh, The people under Moses, yep, they didn't follow it. Under Aaron, yep, they didn't follow it. You name it, Amos didn't follow it, didn't follow it. And he says this, is the law, these standards, these rules, these guidelines, this perfection standard, it's always going to be there. And there's nothing wrong with it. And it's never going away. 
It will always be there. It's, what's the word? It's inviolable. You can't violate the law. You can break it. Um, so his point is this, is the law has never, ever been the problem. Ever. We just never obeyed it. We just never obeyed it. And we never will. We never will. So, and then Stephen goes into this. I'm going to sum it up. He goes, I noticed a very, very predictable pattern all throughout our history. And the predictable pattern throughout all our history is this, is we really love to um, reject, kill, and depose people that are sent to help us out and deliver us and save us. So be it a prophet, be it Joseph, be it, Mo- this is the examples that he uses, uh, J- uh, Joseph, Moses, David, um, it, we're always, uh, bad things always come to the person that's trying to help the people. He says, I've noticed this pattern, and this is the beautiful clincher of his speech in verse, uh, 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 in Stephen's uh, speech. And remember, he's in a courtroom with those 71 judges just listening to him. And he said, all of you, he's going around, he's the accused, right? He's in that circle, all of you, all of you. Um, You've done positive things, all of you, all of you. You've done externally compliant, dutiful things, all of you, all of you. You're even ritualistic about it. You're even, you have consistent processes of doing good things. Correct looking things. And then he says this, and he calls them, look, 71 people that can decide his life. And he says, but guess what? Inside, you are so mad. You're fearful, you're anxious, you're angry, you have anxiety, you have no peace. You do all of these things, but you got no peace. And what he says to them in paraphrase, he says, what it shows you is you need a new heart. You don't need another rule, you need a new heart. And then this is the kicker. All of you, all of your trying hard to do right has only made you worse. That's why he calls them stubborn and stiff-necked. It's made you worse. And then he says this in verse 52. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. He says this, you literally murdered the righteous one. The one who ended the historical pattern, yeah, you killed him. The one who did it right, the run, right? The, the, the one who was delivered now commends you to God. You have never obeyed the toll roads, the toll roads. And the one who did obey gets the judgment and the penalty because you killed him. 
in this courtroom, and he's looking around, in this courtroom, this is in effect what he says. All y'all, that's kind of a southern term. All y'all, you're guilty. Okay, um, it's at this juncture, the death squad starts distributing really nice handheld rocks. And it's this death squad is led by a very young, bright-eyed captain, and he's super smart, and tradition has it that he, he possibly had a photographic memory, and his name is Saul. How do you think we got this speech, this monologue? We didn't get it from Stephen. Luke wasn't there. Saul heard it. And the text says, it uses that great phrase, they ground their teeth at him. Like, I don't know how that is intimidating unless they're like, <laughs> like, I, I, it's, a, it's an idiom, right? We don't fully get it, but you know, like, they are enraged without a mouth guard, grinding their teeth. <laughs> and here it is, is this courtroom begins to condemn externally Stephen. All right, now this is what I want you to get. This is so weird. <laughs> Stephen is super chill in the parlance of my kids. Verse 55, 56, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, now that's huge to unpack, I'm not gonna do it, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, behold, I see the heavens open. He, he's, he's, he's monologuing again to the people that are really ticked off. Behold, look, everyone, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. <laughs> All right, did you catch the strange, strange, out of place phrase in there? And you're like, uh, Tim, the strange part where the heavens were open and he saw? No, because that's pretty strange. Not that part. All right, so in almost every single picture in the scriptures that we have describing Jesus in a cosmic courtroom, or throne room, we get this phrase. He was seated at the right hand of God the Father. And it's really interesting because if someone is sitting in their throne, it shows completion. Something's done. You are at rest. There is no more to do if you are seated in your throne room looking out over your kingdom. But Stephen looks up and says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What does that mean? That's the weird thing. What? What? 
It means that this, Stephen is not looking at a throne room. He is looking at a courtroom. Every ancient culture, uh, culture if you had a king, monarch, suzerain, whatever it is, um, the throne room also functions as a courtroom. And so when, Jesus, when Stephen sees this, it means when he sees Jesus standing, it means this, is that he is advocating and working for and petitioning for Stephen. In the courtroom. He, this is what's happening. He is commending Stephen to the father. There he is. He's accused. Stephen is in one courtroom getting hated on and condemned, condemned, condemned. And he's looking at a heavenly courtroom where he is being commended to the Father. It's, it's as if this. It's as if heaven is saying this court is more than satisfied with Stephen. And that's why he's so chill. The text says he was beautiful. Stephen looked at the courtroom and said, if I have the commendation of Jesus to the Father, then these rocks won't say any more or less about my life. What does that mean for you? And this is a short one today, but this has got to mean something for you. We're just not watching a movie. We're just not watching a story. No, this has to mean something for you. It means that whatever you say, and you're going to do this, I'm going to do this. Whatever you say, this is the greatest thing in life to give me meaning and purpose. That thing will either condemn you or commend you. If you think gathering up wealth is kind of probably the biggest pursuit you could probably have, with your 80, 85, 90 years, you will be commended when you have it. And you will be condemned if it shrinks on you. Some of us are a little bit more domestic. If you think your kids or la familia is kind of the greatest thing to pursue in your life. Your kids will commend you for a while when they achieve and they succeed and they're everything you want them to be for the public face. But if they veer, they will condemn you. I talked to a lady who, when her son veered into addiction, 
and her son was everything. She holed up and she could not be around people because she was being condemned by her son. You might think this, this is the last one, you might think position or connections or network, associations, who you know will give you meaning, but let me just tell you this, they will commend you when you reciprocate with smiles and appropriate gifts and positive vibes, but I'm telling you, they'll condemn you when you're broken and you're weak and you made a mistake. Wherever you go for meaning and purpose, to give you meaning in whatever you're doing in life, to be fulfilled, I'm telling you, it has to be invincible and unchanging and impervious to any sort of circumstance. It has to be that. Because when you're condemned or judged, it has to say the same today, tomorrow, and forever. It's got to. And this is it, is when you begin to bask in this, Jesus, you are unchangeable in commending me to the Father. When when your heart is there, you can walk into a meeting and the stakeholders at this meeting have no power to condemn you or commend you. They've got no power. And when people criticize your moves, if you know I am commended in the courtroom of heaven, when people criticize all your moves, guess what? They have no power to commend or condemn you. You can suffer and you can handle it. You have the tools to handle it. And it won't destroy you. Your suffering will not destroy you. It won't. I'm telling you, you will be able to finally be condemned by earthly things and earthly people. And you'll be able to sleep. But better than sleeping... There's a psalm that says this, those who look on him are radiant. It's gonna turn you into a beautiful person. Now, this is the cherry on top. It won't just make you sleep well. It won't just make you beautiful. Listen to this. You're gonna start commending your haters to the heavenly courtroom. Huh? Listen to this. Stephen says this. He says, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. Not only is he chill, but he's saying that. You know what that sounds like? You know what it sounds like? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
Let's pray. Father, the tool that you have given us to suffer and go through pain without destroying us is your very own pleasure on us. So here, I just ask this, in these songs that we now sing, by your spirit, would you bring your pleasure to the hearts of everyone here so that they know that they are commended before you through Jesus alone? That's what we want. Do that now. Do that now. We pray. In your name, amen.